I'm going to read from Ephesians 3. Right, the last verse of Ephesians 3, going into Ephesians 4. Now to him who's able to, be, to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is, work, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then he goes on to say, I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We'll stop there. My parents, who we've been living with, um, Laura's there with the kids so that they can start their new school. I've been back and forth a little bit. I've noticed that my parents are very good at making stuff last. Don't know if the slide came through, but um, you might be able to see some of, some of the... No, we didn't get there. Okay, so there's a picture of some sandpapery faded blue towels. You can, you can imagine the same old lamp sat on the same old 1980s sideboard that used to be me and my brother's indoor football goal until we smashed their one and only wedding picture that, was, uh, that wasn't in this the collection of stuff anymore. Um, the same old lamp was there, the same old strange picture of a wildebeest on the wall. And, and, and being there amongst this stuff made me remember, of course, this, this life that, that we had, the rules that we had, the no football in the lounge rule that came in, the, um, the rhythm of life that we had together. And as I was there years later, in amongst the same old stuff again, I was thinking, oh, there we are. Same old slow cooker, I forgot that. They had that off their wedding list, still going strong. I don't know how many meals I've eaten out of that. And, and as I was there amongst this stuff, I had this real sense of a family unit that doesn't exist anymore, that um, kind of... Slips, slips through the fingers and you can't hold on to it. The arrangement that was me and my brothers and my parents doesn't, doesn't last. But what really does endure is love, as Marg was praying. The love that me and my brothers knew in that context, amid that stuff, even after we'd smashed the picture, that love endures, it goes on, it it rebounds, it echoes, it cascades into new settings. And at the outset of, of this, these, these words that I have the privilege to share, I wanted to say thank you for the love that we've known in this context. And, and that love, I mean, we're grateful for so much. There's so much that we're going to be carrying forward um, from this place in terms of memory and experience um, we're grateful for the, the patience and the grace that you've shown us. We've heard a, a lot of um, very kind, generous words, but it does also skim over some of the clumsy moments where we've got stuff wrong. <laughs> and, and I remember particularly, I'm, I'm grateful for the way that, that one person so gently helped me see that eating a, a partly melted Mars bar out of a out of a nappy as part of a kind of moment of all-age um, worship exuberance, might have just been crossing the line a little bit <laughs> beyond what was palatable, what was good taste. Um, 
uh, <laughs> and, and I'm grateful for all the experience we've gained. But, but really, what I'm grateful for is the love that we've received here. And we leave with hearts that are full. And that love is not slipping through our fingers. It endures. It will go on. It is of um, eternal significance. And it shapes us. And, um, and so, thank you. Now, today, vision series... I have the privilege of kicking off the, the September um, vision series, that time in the year where we kind of try to clarify again, what is it all about and what is God calling us to? And what are we kind of opting into? What are we structuring our lives towards? What's this all about? And to get there, I thought we'd, we'd go back to where it all began. And, and there's one more picture from my parents' house. I was making some cheese on toast last week and I reached up for the, for the Liam Perrins. Of course I did. And... Um, and much to my horror, I found this bottle of Worcester sauce. The alarm bell should have been ringing when I saw Worcester sauce and not Worcestershire sauce. Um, and I, I mean, it was a, a supermarket own brand version of, of Worcester. We went, because we, we, we're on YouTube, I probably shouldn't share the name of the, the supermarket. Let's just call it uh, Mazda. And um, <laughs> so put some of this, this sauce that my parents had bought from Mazda um, onto, onto my cheese and toast. And something about it just wasn't, wasn't quite right. You know, it, was, it just wasn't, wasn't quite there. Have you ever gone to church, gone to a church, or, or sort of had something to do with a church community somewhere, and something about it, it's just like, it's not, hmm, it's not quite right. I've been to some wildly different traditions and styles, and you can kind of quickly be like, yes. This is, this is it. And then other places that should be on the surface, my, they sing the same songs that, um, that I know, and you know, I should be, but something about it just isn't quite right. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church, and he talks about us as the aroma of Christ. And I want today to, to leave you with three distinctively Christian virtues. They're kind of three sides of the same coin, if that doesn't work. Um, but it's what deeply coheres with the gospel, the reality that the Lion of Judah, long-expected Lion of Judah, came as a lamb who appeared to have been slain, that the God of it all stepped into the mess with the humility and the gentleness that we see in Jesus. God works out his healing of things with a different sort of power. God has a different style of victory. There is a distinctive aroma of Christ, and it's beautiful. And I thought today we could just learn three of the key ingredients. Now, I'd not noticed them here before in the same verse in the Bible, but Ephesians 4, we'll get to those three key ingredients. There's one bit of preamble. Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So, we're all called to learn this recipe. We're called into the kitchen to have a go. This is the calling that we have received. Please note, this is not, don't have the, the picture to have in your mind is not one of some high class, competitive, busy French restaurant kitchen where you're on a trial shift and it's very competitive and you've just got one shift to prove that you're good enough before getting otherwise shown the door. That is not the picture to have in the mind. The picture you need to have in mind when I'm talking about 
learning this, this recipe of this calling is of a young kid learning to make pancakes with their dad on a Saturday morning. And, and the grace of God lifts us up onto the chair. And each time ties a fresh, um, what they called apron, around, around the kid and delights at our clumsy attempts to stir the mixture and flour is going everywhere and there is, and there is laughter. And that's the beautiful grace of God. that welcoming, that lifting of us up onto the chair, even though we don't deserve it at all. That delight in us, that new apron around us, that's, that's the grace of God, and that comes first before any sense of, of trying to learn how to live up to this. Philippians has a verse that says, it talks about um, uh, live, up to, you know, live up to what's already been attained for you. you know, in Christ, that assurance, that status, that belonging, that embrace, is complete, it's full, it's total. That's the free gift of grace. And then from there, we get to have the joy. And it's an important joy, uh, but the joy of, of learning this new life, this second nature, um, this, this fullness that we're invited into. And God delights in us as we have a go. Whew. The next verse. Number two, for two, brings us on to our three key ingredients. And Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So humility, gentleness, and patience. I'm not going to talk for very long, but I'm just going to give a brief word on each of these. Humility. Um, we've, you just heard a, a heck of a lot of, of, I've got fresh solidarity with this guy up here. You've heard a heck of a lot of, of nice things that have been said about us, and it's kind of deeply uncomfortable and, and not always helpful for the humility front to be um, so celebrated. But this poor guy, after he'd gone, look what they, look what they did to him. Um, <laughs> the, the, the truth is that, thank you for all of the nice things. Thank you, thank you. The truth is, though, that no one is worthy, not even Laura. In, in Revelation, in Revelation, we get this, this heavenly throne room scene, yeah, where, where John, exiled in Patmos at the time, is, is writing, and he's had this, this, he's a complete Bible nerd, and when a complete Bible nerd has a dream, often a lot of the categories and symbols are kind of echoing things from earlier in the Bible, and he has this dream, and there's the throne of God, and around it are seated these these 24 elders, you've got 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. I think it's a picture of like the complete representatives of the complete people of God. Or maybe it's like the, the big dogs, I'm just thinking this. Anyway, the point is, none of them are seated on the throne. None of us are seated on the throne. Is, is, is God's place. God is bigger than us. You're not at the center of the universe. Humility is about learning this startling reality and it's reassuring, actually, that God is bigger, and bigger than our failures, and bigger than our moral failures, bigger than our illness, bigger than our vision statements, bigger than our church projects, 
bigger than our institutions, bigger than Western civilization, bigger than ice ages and climate change, bigger than biological origins and the universe. This is God we're talking about. He is big and he's working out his purposes in more wonderful ways than, than we can um, imagine. And that's reassuring. And the safety of God's love and God's grace, picking us up onto that chair, we're not going to fall off. The safety of that, that love is big. It's bigger than any unexpected development. It's good. Coming here, practicing Christian worship, beginning with prayers of confession, or like we have been doing on the daily prayer or different apps that you might use. The practice of confession is basically acknowledging our profound need for God. <clears throat> Life has a way of bringing us to our knees sometimes. Don't wait for that. Start tomorrow. Start now. Surrender your heart. Humbly accept that you need, that, that your sheer existence is a gift, and actually you need the grace of God to, to set us up on that chair before we begin to start cooking. Okay, that was humility. Gentleness. In Revelation, again, that, that same scene continues, and there's the scroll. I don't know if you remember it. So God is seated on this throne, and there's a scroll in his right hand, and there's these seven seals, and there, there's like John, who's sort of seeing this vision and writing it down. He's saying, oh, there's no one worthy to, to open this, this scroll. And then one of the elders taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, calm down, mate. There is one who is worthy. The Lion of Judah. And John turns around expecting to see some warrior king. And then somehow stood right in the middle of the throne is a lamb who looks like he's been slain. And this is crazy imagery if you're just dropping in for the first time. But this lamb that was slain, this is Jesus. And so where we were expecting some God to come with the overpowering force of a lion, God's this, this lamb has got seven horns, seven eyes. That's all the power and the wisdom of God. This lamb is the power and the wisdom of God. This is, this is a new style of power. This is a deeper sort of wisdom. And this is how God is working out his purposes. The lamb, Jesus, is the one who's worthy to unroll God's purposes, to work, to work it out. And he does so with such different style with gentleness, with humility. And then the third, now I just want to say one more thing. You know, there's some, there's some walls that we put up that can only be taken down by gentleness. And I'm talking about the, the walls of human heart when it's been hurt and we put up those things to protect us. The only thing that's got the power to take those down is gentleness. So, so this is a hallmark. This is a characteristic virtue for us. It fits with our bigger picture. Humility, gentleness. Number three is patience. Final, um, final one. Technically speaking, the, um, ever since the resurrection of Jesus, we've been living in the end times, biblically speaking. So that, you know, that was supposed to kind of, the expectation up to that point was, you know, the resurrection, 
from the dead, and God would suddenly make all things new and, and heal and bring vindication. God's justice would land and transform a messed up world. So the resurrection of Jesus triggers, it says, yes, that has begun, but obviously the world is still in a terrible mess, and so that's not yet complete. So this is the now and the not yet of the kingdom. It's the overlap of the ages is, is a phrase that, that, again, Paul writes um, how long, O oh Lord, is this end times? I mean, that's what makes the, the book of Revelation. You, could, you might have been able to tell that. I was in two minds about whether to preach from the book of Revelation or from Ephesians. Ephesians seemed easier in the end. But final thing to say from the, the book of Revelation, it makes it so interesting because John is writing about the end times happening in the events of the Roman oppression and there's, there's these beautiful glimpses of the final victory and these people embodying the way of Jesus and, and the beauty of Christ. And there's opposition or antichrist going on and there's um, embodied by different things. And so it has been throughout 2,000 years of history. And so it still kind of resonates. These, these categories, these symbols, these images still help us make sense of the end times that we are living in rather than providing some tight code about what's going to happen um, just around the corner. So, how long, O oh Lord, as we still stay in these, these... The end is nigh. We are living in the end times. But to counter that, as Rowan, this sort of... Do you know Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury? He has this wonderful way of kind of just throwing, throwing wide open your imagination. He said one little line. He said, for all we know, we might still be part of the early church. <laughs> because God is pa- evidently... God is patient. God is patient. And this patience that God has with the world, with creation, as he is working out his purposes in ways more wonderful than we can imagine, this patience, in our little stirring the pancake mix sort of way, we're called to have patience with one another, to bear with one another in their shortcomings. Can you do that? Can we do that? You've done that with me. Carry on. We don't have to force through our agenda. We don't have to rush for impressive results. We don't have to meet anyone's targets. We need to learn to trust God. To carry on in humility, gentleness, patience, loving one another. This love will endure. God is big. God is patient. God came in humility and gentleness. He's got a way of working out his purposes that's more wonderful than we can imagine. So let's trust him. Amen. Should we stand? Bonhoeffer said, said this, love your idea of community, or love your ideal of community, and you end up destroying community. Love those people around you, and you end up creating community. So Lord, would you deliver us from our two small ideas about what we're trying to do, and would you deliver us into trust? into faith, 
hope into love. Teach us your beautiful ways. Teach us your different style.